Great. I wonder if you open your Bible up in Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. We've been uh, doing a series for a little while on unashamed. And I want to talk now and begin to uh, just pick up from there and just move forward and do something else now. And uh, we looked and we saw how shame was an identity thief. When you're covered in shame, you can't be who you're supposed to be. You can't actually be your true self. You put on a self that uh, looks good and gets accepted, but you're not really true to yourself. And so we found that when people have got shame on their life, they tend to put on a mask, try to be something they're not. And Jesus hates that kind of thing. He wants you to be yourself. Only one of you, why should you be someone else? And uh, so we saw also shame was an intimacy thief. I want us to go and look in uh, this scripture here, and we want to look at our identity in Christ, who I am. Because you get a bit confused after a while, you think, I wonder who I really am. Okay? Why don't you just introduce yourself to the person next door to you? Go and introduce yourself to them and tell them who you are, in case they didn't know. Tell them who you are. They may not know. Okay then, I wonder how many people introduced themselves, you gave that person your name. How many gave them their name? Oh, quite a few gave the name, right? How many actually said something about who you are? That's good, that's good, that's good, you're onto it, you're really onto it, who you really are. Who are you really? Well, here's a man here, and we're going to look at how God views us and God speaks to us. I want to show you something interesting about how God sees us because most of us are shaped and we think of ourselves the way uh, in all kinds of weird ways. Notice this here, verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the Terebith tree, which was an Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon, like he hadn't even heard it, says, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord's with us, how come all this has happened to us? Where are all the miracles our fathers told us about? Didn't the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? Now the Lord's forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. Then the Lord didn't even listen to anything he said. Didn't even bother to answer the questions ignored what he said completely. He says, go in this might of yours. You will save Israel from the Midianites. Have not I sent you? So he argues with him again. Well, Lord, how can I save Israel? How can I do this? My tribe is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the youngest or the least in my father's family. And the Lord said to him, surely I am with you and you will defeat the Midianites as one man. You notice that God listens to none of his objections. He doesn't even, it's like God carries on like he didn't hear anything he said. Oh, we know that God did hear what he said. But I want to share with you some things on our identity in Christ. You see, God comes to this man in the midst of a national crisis and declares to him his identity. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Mighty man of valor. And you know what? Immediately he hears God speak his identity. Immediately what he believes in his heart 
surfaces. Oh, well, I'm the least in my family. Uh, and our tribe, well, we're the smallest tribe and uh, we're quite poor. You notice how he sees himself comes up immediately. When the truth comes and God speaks to you directly and puts truth into you, what you really believe in your heart will surface. Quite interesting. So uh, we see the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, Proverbs 23, 7, as a man or a person thinks in their heart, that's how they'll be. So the way you see yourself will determine how you'll live your life. What you believe about yourself will affect how you conduct your life and the things that go on around you in your life. If you, for example, believe in your heart, I am unwanted, I am rejected, or I am unlovable. What will happen is you will put out a spiritual energy and force around you. People will pick it up, and, they, and, and two things will happen. One is you'll misinterpret everything. People who believe they're rejected see it everywhere and pull it into their life. Second thing will happen is you'll attract into your life the very thing you believe in your heart. You'll have many experiences of being rejected and, and you can't understand why it always seems to be the same no matter where you are. It's because of what you believe in your heart. So the way we see ourselves will affect how we run our life. Think about that. The way you see yourself will affect how you run your life. Your heart beliefs and expectations will determine your life. So one of the things that God does to us, first he brings us into relationship, then he wants us to become established in the relationship with him and in understanding who we are as he sees us. The dilemma is when you become a Christian is we carry a lot of mental and emotional baggage with us and we don't catch up inside with what God has done inside us. We're still thinking the way we used to think. We're still uh, expecting the way we used to expect. But God says, no, a total change has taken place. Note what God does. God speaks directly into him. There's an interesting uh, example that uh, I, I came across. If, if you want to train an elephant, what you do is you get the elephant when it's very young and you tie a chain around its leg and you tie it to a tree. And the, the young elephant will buck and pull and tug, and eventually it learns that when that chain's around your leg, you can't move. Later on, they have the same chain, and they just put it to a stake in the ground, and the elephant will not move away because he's been programmed, I can't do that. I'm not strong enough to do that. Yet actually, he's got all the strength he could pull the thing out and take off. But as soon as he feels the tug, he remembers. He remembers what? Oh, I'm powerless to overcome that. And so he doesn't even try. And people are very much the same. We have past experiences. They become part of our life and who we are. And then we become a Christian and we don't change in our understanding of who we now are in Christ. And if you don't know who you are, you won't carry yourself the way God wants you to carry yourself. You'll still live like you used to live. So have a think about this. How do people define their identity? That's why I gave you the little thing. Go out there and ask, introduce yourself. So uh, how many introduce yourself as a child of God? How many introduce yourself as a mighty warrior? As more than a conqueror? As a king? 
See, we don't think to. It's not in our thinking to introduce or to even see ourselves that way. So how do we define ourselves? Well, let me just give you a definition. Identity are the personal characteristics that define you. It's the, the things, the characteristics by which people know you. It's how you're known. It's, make, it's what makes you like who you are. That's your identity. Your identity are the characteristics by which you're known. And it can be, I'll give you a few ways that people know us. Number one, the most obvious way is your face. Your face. As soon as you see your face, ah, there we are, Alex. I know that face. So we're known by our face. Eh? And unfortunately, you can't do too much about your face. You can make it a little bit prettier, but you can't do a lot about that part of you, see? That's the way you've been made, the way God designed you. Get used to it. Get to live with it. Enjoy the face you've got. Let it smile because it's the only face you've got. Make it, show it off to the best you can. So our face. Uh, second way we're identified is our name. Our name, what we're called. So look over there. Well, that's Alex. That's her name. So if I call out into the room, Alex, there's one person in the room will identify with that and she'll stand up because she knows her name. So a name is another way we identify ourselves. Another way we identify ourselves is who we're linked to, who we're connected to. So for example, people are connected into a family. So people are identified not only by what they look like and their first name, but also by their surname. They're linked into some family. If you're from a tribal culture, then you're linked into a tribe. Or we may be linked into a nation. So uh, you go overseas and people say, who are you? You say, I'm a Kiwi. So your identity is that's to your nation, where you've come from, your source, your origin. So we use a whole number of ways to define our identity. Uh, another way that we define our identity is by what kind of racial group we're part of. Well, I'm an Indian. I'm an African. I'm a this. I'm a that. Uh, another way that people identify themselves is by what church they're part of, what denomination they're in. Oh, that's Catholic. So they put a label on them, now I've boxed them so I don't have to actually find out who they really are. See, many times people put labels on others so they don't actually have to connect personally with them and find out who they really are. Sometimes we get labeled and then can't live down our label. I'll give you some other Another way that we get identified with this common one among men. What do you do? Oh, he's a plumber. He's a this, he's a that. And so our identity is tied to our work. So men go through traumatic uh, experience when they lose their job because their identity is gone. If it's found in the job, when you lose the job, then you lose your identity. For some people, uh, their identity is found in their social standing, their positioning in society. Well, what are you? I'm a leader. What are you? Well, I'm a city councillor. What are you? I'm a this, I'm a that. And we identify who we are by a position or status we have. Trouble with doing that is, the moment, the moment you lose the position, who are you? So people like that come into the church and they want to have a position in the church. I want to be a leader. I want to be a this, I want to be a that. But then if you take them out of that role because it's time for change or they don't fit the role, they get upset because their identity was in the role. For some women, their identity is in their children. So you say anything about the child, mum just has a hissy fit. Because she doesn't see you talking about the child. She sees you attacking her personally because her identity is in the child. She hasn't got a life of her own. She's living it through the children. So what ha you know what happens? She lives her life through the children. The marriage diminishes. Comes the time the children leave home. Marriage is nothing there. It's empty. Been empty for years. Because the identity was tied up 
in the children. Children go, children do something the mum doesn't want, their life falls apart. Our identity is not to be tied up with our children. We need to know who we are. We need to be secure in who we are. Sometimes our identity is tied to past experiences, especially if they're bad. So you'd hear someone say, I'm a failure. Well, how can you be a failure? People fail, but that you can't be a failure. You're a human being. But you see people identify the painful experience, and then they take that painful experience, and they say, I am a failure. No, you failed. Have you learned from your failures so you succeed in the future? But you are not a failure. Your identity is not failure. You understand? So, so these are the kind of pressures we have around us, and without us even really thinking about it, they shape the way we see ourselves. For some, uh, their identity is totally tied up around their gender, and they've been rejected as a woman, then they have this huge woman issues, or as a male, or whatever. It, it, often these things are tied up around things that God does not want them to be tied to. The Bible says, in Christ, there's neither male nor female. So when God looks at you, he doesn't look at man or woman. He sees a person, human being. He sees them of equal value, totally equal value. The Bible says in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek. So God doesn't look and see, well, that's an Aussie, that's a Kiwi. He just sees there's a person. He doesn't see things the way we see them. And our problem is we see them a certain way, and it affects how we live our life. So if you've lived your life with tremendous hurts or experiences, uh, uh, then uh, painful experiences, it shapes who you see yourself as being. So for, some, for example, somebody, how many people were called names, nicknamed when you were at school or when you were younger? How many of those nicknames were pretty derogatory? They weren't exactly honoring and wonderful. I can remember them. There's pain in it. But I'm not that. But you see, people put a label on you so they can define your identity. Now, we don't, God does not want your identity to be defined by the world, your circumstances, your family, your tribe or nation, the culture you come from. He wants to define who you are because He's made you for a unique purpose. For example, and I'll touch this and we'll get into this and have a look at this. For example, and I'll, I'll do something on this to touch out these characteristics a little more, but I want to just touch on this. For some people, their identity is that of a victim. It's very common in New Zealand. A victim is a person who at some time was hurt or abused or badly treated, and they were powerless or unable to stop this thing happening to them. That's what makes them a victim. A victim is a person who had a painful or bad experience that they could not stop happening to them. So they were the victim of someone's fault, uh, someone's actions or whatever. But there's a huge difference between having been victimized, having an experience where you were treated that way, to being that. And so what happens is people adopt the victim mentality. The past experience, what happened to me, now becomes who I am. You are not a victim. You are a person. You have potential. And you can make decisions. Now, one of the terrible things about a victim mentality is it goes like this, is the way of thinking is, bad things happen to me, and so, you know, this is my life. And what happens is someone else is to blame for what happened to me, 
Someone else has got to get me out of it. So a person with a victim mentality never assumes responsibility for their life. They're always blaming someone else for why it's like it is. And someone else has to come through to be the solution for them. That's a victim mentality. The identity is one of being a victim, a person unable to help themselves. They understand, if I, I just want to be sensitive here, but this thing of a victim mentality where a person's identity is, is, is uh, taken up where I have been oppressed, therefore I am a victim. No, you may have been oppressed, you may have suffered injustice, you may have had pain, but you are not defined by that. Let God define you, who you really are. So I, f I find in dealing sometimes with Maori people that there is a tendency to put the responsibility for why they are as they are somewhere else. We put it on a historic event. The Irish, where I come from, are very bitter about the English. They? Very bitter about the English, fought the English for years considered themselves victims of the English, blamed the English. But you know, Ireland began to change when the Irish decided to stand up and start to forge ahead and be who they're called to be. And every culture can never, you can never define yourself by the culture or by the past painful experiences. If you do that, you become a victim. Well, what can I do? I can't, well, not my fault, is it? Now, a person who thinks that way, their identity is wrapped up in being a victim. Well, not my fault. I couldn't help it. It was someone else did it, and someone else has got to get me out of this. And you'll find that uh, the, this mentality was the mentality that characterized Israel after hundreds of years in Egypt. So when they came out into the wilderness, God saved them. They got filled with the Holy Ghost, water baptized, but they couldn't get into their destiny because they never came to accept who God called them to be. He said, I have redeemed you. I got you out of that past. I have brought you to myself into relationship, and I have made you a kingdom of priests. I've made you people, and I have promises for you. But they never, ever embraced their new identity. They just remained victims and complained, so they could never enter what God had for them. Now, you see here, this man here, he's got a similar kind of problem. And we've got to realize we should not let the past define who we are. If you failed in the past, had a miserable academic record at school, so what? Heaps of people did, and some of the most successful people in the world did. You are not a failure because you failed at school. Could be a whole heap of reasons why you failed at school, some of them your own and some not your own. Don't worry about it. It does not define you as a failure for life unless you accept that as your identity. And many do. Many do. And so they walk through the rest of their life defined by bad experiences. God wants you to stand up and become who he called you to be. There is no one quite like you. Now listen, this is one of the things I found when, when looking at uh, how God deals with us. God defines us, get this, God defines us who we are according to the purpose he designed us for. I'll say that one again. God defines your identity around what he called you to be. His purpose for your life. You really want to know who you are? Find out what God says about you. 
So here's a nation that's in defeat, and God comes to a man, and this man's a businessman, and he's trying desperately because the, the, the nation's overwhelmed by these people. They keep stealing the harvest and impoverish the whole nation, but he doesn't lie down like a victim. He's still working there. He's still producing something. He's doing it in a way that no one can see him, and God comes to him and says, You mighty man of Allah. Now, you imagine, understand, he looks at the circumstance, what man of valor, I'm here full of fear and I'm, crying, I'm hiding behind this blimmin' barrel so no one will see me. But God doesn't look at the circumstances. God saw what he had in mind for this man and God calls him the way he sees he will be. So when God looks at us, he looks at us completely differently to the way we look at ourselves or others look at us. When others look at you, they will look at you according to your past and your present. When God looks at you, he sees your purpose and your potential. And in, in his dealings with people, often he will either shut them up or ignore them when they try to protest. So listen what he does to Gideon. Gideon immediately comes up. Oh, how come no miracles? You know, we heard all these great things in the Bible. and You know, there's supposed to be miracles and stuff. And I haven't seen any miracles. All I've seen is problem and a mess. You know what? God just ignores the question. There's some questions God's going to ignore. You waste your time asking. He's not going to answer it. Just part of the mysteries. He doesn't. Relationships have got a bit of mystery in them. He doesn't answer everything for us. Wish he did, but he doesn't. How come? We prayed and they didn't get healed. They died. I don't, never hear a word. It's like he just says, listen, I want you to operate by faith. He said, so God ignores him, just keeps talking to him, says, you know, you mighty man of valor, I'm going to send you and you'll save the nation. Now he begins, notice this, he's a man of valor. His name Gideon means mighty man of valor. His name meant mighty man of Allah. You notice, so sometimes when God encounters a person, he'll actually change their name because he wants them to think differently about who they are. Give them a total name change. Did you know you got a name change when you got born again? See? You see, you call one of Christ's ones. Christian. You see, the way we use the word Christian now, we describe all kinds of people as being Christians when they're not at all. The Bible defines a Christian as being a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ, one who's given their life to serve him, to walk with him. See? So here, let me give you a few examples of people that God spoke to, and the way he spoke to them is amazing. Now remember, God speaks to people, he speaks according to what he sees in them. So you need God to speak to you how he sees you. What are you? Who are you? Now you've become a Christian. Who are you now? Well, you'll probably define yourself according to what you used to be like. But God says there's a whole new th set of things. I'll share with you some of the things God says about it. Here, look at another example found in Genesis 32 and verse 28. And Jacob has uh, been in a, he's in a spot of bother. His father-in-law's been after him. Now his brother's after him. He thinks he's going to die. He looks like he's going to lose everything. And so in a spot of desperation, he presses in to the presence of God. Now, I want you to have a look what God says to him. He has this encounter, an angelic encounter, begins to wrestle with God, and then well, God asks him a question. Great when God asks questions. Here it is. <laughs> and verse 26, it said, Jacob wrestled, and he said, uh, let me, the angel said, let me go for the day breaks. And he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And he said to him, What's your name? 
And so he says, my name is Jacob. Now what he's stating is this, I'm the crooked one. I'm the one who twists and lies and cheats and manipulates. I've got ambition and I'm determined to get somewhere and I'll step over anyone to get there. You remember when Jacob was born, his brother came out first and Jacob grabbed his heel. He's trying to pull him back in. He wanted to be the first one out and get the blessing of the firstborn. He's an ambitious man. And God says, who are you? I'm Jacob. And he says, you won't be called Jacob anymore. You'll be called Israel, a prince. So from today, wherever you go, don't think of yourself. When people ask who you are, don't say, I'm the crooked one, the twisted one, the one who does this, the one who cheats, deceives, ambitious, walks over people to get where he wants to get. I'm a prince of God. A prince of God. Kings will come out of me. He had to change the way he talked about himself, the way he spoke about himself, the way he acknowledged himself. He required everyone around to acknowledge him differently. So he went and introduced himself. He's now a different person. Prince with God. Here's another one. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5 through to 10, Jeremiah 1. Jeremiah, God speaks to Jeremiah. Jeremiah said before, God speaks to him, he says, before you were born, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Notice he's got an identity for him. You are a prophet. So God describes us in terms of his purpose for our life. You are a mighty man of God. You are a mighty woman of God. You are a child of the living God. You are a prophet. You are a giver. You are this, that. God's got things to define us by. And of course, immediately Jeremiah comes up with the argument. He says, I'm too young. And God says, zip the lip, boy. Don't you tell me you're too young. Don't tell me who I'm going to choose. I had this figured out long before I saw you. You need to come up to the plan. You see, when God is working with us, he does not define us according to how other people talk about us. He sees gold in you. He sees something in you no one else sees. And you need to see what God is saying about you because it's how, it's, it's what he, when God talks to you about who you are, he's defining your purpose in life. He defines what you're called to do and to be. It's the most amazing thing how God works with people. And God speaks in a certain kind of way, a bit different to what we do. Let's, I'll give you another one. In Matthew 1, verse 21 to 23, you shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. That's why naming your children is quite important. Some people give kids the weirdest of names. Go and choose some character off the television, some dopey person. And instead of actually finding out, well, what does God want to name my child? God, you knew this child before they were born. What do you want to name them? I found a bit of a trouble as a teacher because you have all these naughty kids in your class. And then every time you think of a name, you think one of those naughty kids. I don't want to be like, I'm not going to name my child that one. <laughs> but we prayed and asked the Lord to give us a name for each of our children. They've all got godly names because we're a godly line with a godly destiny. That makes sense to you? Jesus, they call his name Emmanuel, God is with us. Now you notice that the names God gives are identified with the purpose that God has for them. So when you get to come to Christ, you have a new name, which identifies you as a different person completely. Isn't that interesting, eh? How God works. 
Have a look at another one in John 1 verse 42. John 1 verse 42, Jesus sees Simon. Simon means a reed, one who's blown this way and that way. He says, Simon, you won't be called Simon anymore. Push over. You'll be called Cephas the rock because I'm going to build something on you. So notice he called him Peter. So you, if I use the word Peter, you all know that who it is. But that's the name Jesus gave him. Because Jesus said, you may look a pushover. You may look impulsive. You may make a lot of mess-ups with your life. But I'm telling you, you're the rock. I'm going to build something on you. Do you understand? This is how God works. Have a look at it in Romans chapter 4, verse 17 or 21. Somewhere in about then. Romans chapter 4. you see another thing. That God works. It's really important to get a hold of this. Because this is how faith operates. Romans chapter 4. Romans 4. Here we go. Nearly there. How many got it? How many found Romans 4? Here it is, Father. Romans 4, verse 17. And uh, God is talking about Abraham. Now, Abram's, Abra Abraham's name was Abram before. Now, now it's changed to Abram. I've made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who believe, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did who contrary to hope and hope believed and became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead. In other words, sexually, it was all over. And since he was about 100 years old, whoa. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, she wasn't interested either. But he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being convinced that what God said he could perform. Now, Abram had no children, but Abram had a promise from God. So God renamed him, and he said, everywhere you go, I want you to call yourself Abraham. Abraham, the father of nations. So when people ask who you are, I am Abraham, the father of nations. They say, oh, 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 oh. oh yeah, no kids. I am Abraham, the father of nations. Day after day, I am Abraham, the father of nations. God said at night time, look up at the stars. Father of nations, I'm going to give you kids as many as those stars. In the daytime, when you're walking through the desert, look at the sand. I want you to reprogram your inner man that you are going to be the father of nations. Now here he is, a hundred-year-old man. I haven't seen many hundred-year-old men. But you know, when you do see them, there ain't much life in them. They don't even think about sex anymore. Not in their mind anymore. And Sarah, she was pretty old too. Her womb was dead, long dead. Now you understand now, naturally speaking, what you saw was deadness. But God calls things that be not as though they are. And God required him to get vision in his heart and confession in his mouth uh, and agreement with what God said about him. And so every day, day after day, for all this time, all this time, all this time, father of nations, father of nations, father, then he suddenly brings forth Isaac. And he's father of nations. Multitudes of people. Now you've got to understand this. When God says something to you, he says it because in the realm of the Spirit, it already exists. It just hasn't manifested yet. We look at our circumstances, and we're locked in our circumstances, and so we don't see the thing that God says is there. Father of nations, Father of nations, Father of nations. 
prosperous in business, creative ministries, touching nations, apostle, an evangelist. He doesn't, see, he calls the things that he sees because he's looking at what you're called to be. He, as far as God's concerned, it's already there. The thing is for you by faith to catch up with what God says and make it become reality. The dilemma we have is we just don't see it so we don't believe it. God has things to say about your life. He has things to say about who you are. Will you look at what you have and what you seem to be, or will you look at what God says and agree with Him? Who are you going to agree with? Oh, dear, you're a failure. You're a reject. Oh, okay. You're going to agree with that? You live that out all your life, that identity. But it isn't who you are. You're someone else. You've let the world define you. You haven't let God define you. Let God define who you are. And, and if we let God define who we are, we change. Now have a look at Luke in John chapter 13. I'll just uh, finish here. I'll give you a few things that God says about you. John 13. Now notice here. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knew as hour had come that he should depart from the world to the Father, having loved his owner in the world. He loved them. Jesus loved them all. Supper was ended. Devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon's son, to betray him. Now look at this. Je Jesus, knowing the Father had given all things to his hands, he came from God and was going to God. Then he girded himself and he served them all. Now get this. Jesus was totally secure in who he was. When you are secure, he knew where he come from. He knew where he's going. He knows what he has. You know when you're secure? You don't worry about other people and what they're up to. He could go then... Here he is, the Lord of all. He can go and take off some of it out of garments and just wash people's feet, the lowest job. I found with many Christians, they've got a real trouble doing the lowest job. You know what their trouble is? Insecure, pride. You see, when you're secure in who you are, your identity is not defined by the task you're doing. Well, that's beneath me. There's nothing beneath you. You're the servant of the Lord. If you're the servant of the Lord, there's nothing beneath you. Everything's above you. And so Jesus was able to do the menial job of serving and washing. He set an example for us. You can't serve unless you're secure in who you are. Otherwise, you compare. One of the biggest problems teenagers have is they compare themselves with one another. Now, the Bible says when you compare yourself with another person, you're an idiot. You just make stupid decisions all the time because you're not like them. You're different. You're called to be something else. It's just the evidence of insecurity. Don't look to the crowd to define you. Don't look to the crowd to set your course. Don't let other people to define you. You must be defined by what God says about you. And when God speaks about you, he speaks about your purpose, who you're called to be and how you're called to live and run your life. So the Bible's full of descriptions about who you are. Now you become a child of God. But the trouble is we still live out of the old. We need to renew our thinking and catch up with what God says about me. I want to share with you a few things God says about you. Now, if you really believe these in your heart, then why don't you live like it's true? You see, if you're a reject, well, you probably carry yourself and walk down. You know? But if you're the child of a king, you carry yourself a bit differently. You walk differently. If you're an ambassador, you walk differently. You're representing someone. You're significant in life. You're not taking your reference point of value of what people say because you know who you are. Hey? 
This is where so many people struggle. They don't even live like Christians. They live defeated. They live with heaviness and oppression and think that's normal and that's me. It's not so. You're an overcomer. Not only that, you're more than an overcomer. Let me give you a few things the Bible says about you. We'll just pop them up here. Uh, number one, in 1 John 3, 1, see, 1 John 3, 1, see what manner of the love the Father has bestowed on us. He would call us his children. We are children of God. When you got born again, you became a child of God. Yes, I'm someone else's child, but I'm also the child of God who made everything. I'm the child of God, and I have access to my Father all the time. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, I'm a totally new creation. Everything old has passed away. I got a new start. I got a clean start. Everything's begun and is new. I don't feel new. Listen, God said it. You now have to align your life to believe it, and it begins to manifest in your life. Then to live the old way. Power of sin is broken. I'm the dwelling place of God. Wherever I go, the Spirit of God is with me. Wherever I go, I'm a walking revival. Uh, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 3, 16, I'm the temple of God. Do you believe you're the temple of God? The Spirit of God inside you, wherever you go, you can bring creativity, you can bring life, you can bring blessing, you can bring God's presence and goodness to people. Is that who you are? See, if you don't know who you are, you'll just go back on Monday to being what the world says you are. Instead of carrying yourself the way God wants us to carry ourselves. See, there's so many scriptures that describe greatly what we are. You can just take them and begin to use them to meditate on. I'm an heir of God. Romans 8, 17. Other, I like being an heir. I remember going one day and there was a reading of the will and I found out what I was entitled to. It was good. It was even better when I got it. It's true. Remember that? It was great. Got something. It's always good. Hey? It's good. Now, when Jesus died on the cross, he, he caused us to become heirs through faith in him. We are heirs of God. So God has got things for us to have. If you're an heir of God, you're entitled to get a hold of something. You're entitled to because that's who you are. If I'm a child of God, I'm entitled to something. If I'm the temple of the Holy Ghost, I'm entitled to certain things. If I'm an heir of God, I can receive certain things. I've got to rise up and do it. I'm a saint. The Bible says you're a saint. You say, well, he's not a saint. I saw what he was doing last Monday. No saint there. And listen, the Bible's very clear. You see, you've got the wrong concept of a saint. You think of some holy person with a halo around them and their picture up on the wall. That's a religious concept of a saint. You are a saint. You are sanctified, set apart by God for his purpose. He calls that being a saint. Does he, a saint isn't a person who's perfect. But a saint is a person set apart for the purpose of God. You're, so he calls the church saints. See, but the, the moment I say it, you keep thinking of an old religious term rather than what God says about that person. That person next to you who believes in Jesus Christ is a saint of God. See them that way. It'll change how you relate to them. How many know that you're called to be a priest? You're a priest of God. Priest means I can come into the presence of God, worship Him, and access Him and receive. I am a priest of God, called to make offerings to God, called to praise, called to worship, called to, to intercede. How many of you know that you're a king? You're a king. You're a king. A king goes out to conquer. So when you go through those doors, God's got something for you to have dominion over. 
You're an ambassador. You are a representative of heaven. You are called to represent God. This is who you are. You say, well, I don't feel like I'm that. No. Your feelings have to catch up with what God says by changing the way you think about yourself, the way you see yourself, the way you look at yourself. If you keep looking at all your faults and problems, all you'll see is a mess. But when you look at what God says, you see someone of great beauty. Do you know you're God's workmanship? He's very proud of you. He's very proud of you. He loves you and he's very proud of you. Ephesians 2.10, we're his workmanship. Created in Christ for wonderful things. That's who you are. You're not what people said you were. You're better than that. You're much better than that. See, you're a wonderful saint of God. You're a representative of God. You're someone called to carry his love, life, and presence and make a difference in the community. That's who you are. Did you realize you're an ambassador, someone sent to make a difference? But you've got to think that way. How do I get to think that way? It's a bit of a process. I think it helps if you realize that you have been thinking wrong. And you begin to do these things. I need to take a scripture and begin to memorize this. It helps us to memorize the scripture. But then make it personal. Make it very personal. Begin to meditate on it. Scriptures that say, who I am in Christ. This is who I am. I'm a child of God and I can come to my Father. This is who I am. I am greatly loved of God. I'm a person who is loved. Absolutely, wonderfully loved. Of course, your heart doesn't always believe that, so you have to change what's in your heart. You meditate on it. You begin to picture, imagine the truth of God, embrace it and believe it with all the capacity you have, and the truth conceives. Because what God says already exists in the Spirit, it's just got to conceive and give birth in my heart. God says, I am blessed. I'm blessed with every blessing. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. Or or putting it today, we say, the Lord is my friend. And I never lack anything. I've always got what I need. But you see, to feel that, to live that out, we have to change the way we see ourselves. Sometimes we've got to resolve some issues and forgive people and, and break the power of words spoken over us. But you are better than you think. You're a wonderful person, a wonderful person. Make no mistake about it. You're a wonderful, unique person, loved by God, embraced and celebrated by your heavenly Father. You're someone entitled to receive from God because of what Jesus did. You are called and privileged to represent Him. That's who you are. Now you decide whether you'll believe that and live that out whether you believe what you've always believed and you'll just live a life different to that. We choose what we believe. What kind of life are you going to live? Are you going to live out being the person God called you to be? You mighty man of valor. I have challenges for you to face and I will be with you. I'm going to send you to make a difference 
in the community where I placed you. I'm going to send you to take on some demons. Because didn't you know, you are more than a conqueror through Christ who loved you and gave himself through you. You're not just an ordinary winner. You're greater than a winner. You're a super winner. You're definitely not a loser. The devil's the loser. That's who you are. What a privilege. Who I am in Christ. This is why I love the prophetic gift. Many times the prophetic gift will speak out and bring revelation of who a person is and what God wants to say about them. That's who you are. A great man, a great woman of God. That's who you are. There's greatness in you. Unimaginable greatness. He is able to do more than you ask or imagine. He's willing to do it. He can do it. But you've got to imagine more and ask for more. Why don't you make a decision? I'm, I'm not going to live out of the names people call me and the things I've taken on board. I'm going to begin to discover what God says I am. And I'm going to live out of that. I'm going to begin to renew my mind and my pictures every day. Every day I begin to meditate, begin to see this is who I am. I'm a winner today. I've got Almighty God with me. I can't help but win. And even if I have a setback or two or three or four, at the end I win anyway because I learn from them, get up again and get going again. See? And maybe you get overthrown by sin. Maybe you fall down. Something goes wrong. That's okay. I'm still a winner. I'm a forgiven child of God. I'm going to stand up and believe that. When the level starts to get on your back and say, you're a loser, you can't do anything, I'm going to just reject his lies. I'm going to stand up and say, I am who God says I am. I'm a winner in life. I'm a wonderful, unique person, a gift to this community. Can you imagine if the church in our city rose up believing that and began to express it? Now, you understand this. Believing for a Hebrew meant you embraced the truth in your heart and it was now being worked out in your life as a part of your life. For a Greek, they just, they've taken it in, they know it. Stored it away in their brain, hasn't changed their life. Why don't you begin to meditate in the Word of God about what God says you are and decide, I will believe it. There's greatness in me. I'm a great person. And I will demonstrate my greatness. I'm a servant of the Lord. You go into that workplace tomorrow, you're the servant of God. Servants of God can go anywhere. They act on Jesus' behalf anywhere they are. They can pray for people, minister to people, pray for the sick, cast out demons, bring encouragement to people, release gifts to people. They can do all kinds of things because they're the servant of the Lord. That boss doesn't notice you, recognize you, doesn't matter because you're not, you're not really his servant. You're the servant of the Lord. You're serving him as an ambassador. So you suffer injustice and difficulty and setbacks? Don't worry about it. Lots of people in the Bible did. You're the servant of the Lord. You're more than a winner. You're going to win in the end. Just keep your attitude right. 